Hallelujah. Yeah, let's stand and get into our scripture this morning. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And one more scripture. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is alive and active today. I thank you, Lord, that it's your desire for your word to penetrate the hearts of believers and change us for eternity. Lord, I just ask that you would do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we show love one more time for the youth department? You can have a seat. Uh, I don't think there are many places that you can go where the, uh, the worship team that's you typically up can sit down and you can get what we got this morning. Uh, Adam and Bridget have done a fantastic job with the youth group and yeah, amen. And, um, Jonathan and <clears throat> Jonathan and Brittany, when I was, when I was in the youth pastor role, uh, Jonathan and Brittany, I, I met at, I believe it was Starbucks, and they were sharing their heart of how they wanted to really disciple uh, the teens to be able to really own worship uh, and, and leading, the leading of worship, and, and this is the fruit of, of their efforts. So it's really, really great. Good job, guys. <clears throat> Today is Palm Sunday, and as Christians, we celebrate on this day Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It's recorded in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tend to elaborate on his birth and the events leading up to this point. We find that many more details can be found about this point moving forward in the book of John. This is a significant event that takes place. And as you look at Jesus' ministry and you look at uh, what he does and how he approaches people and approaches situations and, uh, and the authority by which he, he walks, which, which he had all of those things prior to this, but there's a shift that happens. If you read, uh, read beyond this and, and, and see how he responds to, uh, to different situations. This day for us as believers is a day of celebration. And one of the most significant reasons that we celebrate the way that we do is because we know how the story is going to play out. We know how the story is going to play out. And though Jesus made many attempts to share uh, what was going to happen with those who were closest to him, uh, frankly, many of them, they didn't get it. They still had no idea. 
Even when he was entering in uh, at Jerusalem and they were uh, uh, proclaiming him as king or, or, or shouting Hosanna or whatever it was they were doing, there still wasn't a, a solid picture. And we have a privilege of being on this side of the resurrection, resurrection and looking back at the thought process of Jesus and, and what he was doing while he was entering in. And, 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 and we have the full picture. You know, God's plan has always been to be in community with his creation. When sin entered the world, it created a gap. And the gap was created between God and man. And more than that, there was a label and a price tag placed on mankind. The label read sinner and the price tag read death. I want to talk to you this morning about this this gap. And I believe that oftentimes we try so hard to bridge the gap when God is trying to fill the gap so the gap is no more. But even then, there's only one thing that can truly fill the gap. Sin. Sin creates this gap between us and God simply because God cannot reside in the same place as sin. The very fact that sin exists is the problem. And there's no amount of cleanup, no amount of effort that we can do on our part to wash ourselves clean enough to then get back into that perfect state of communion uh, with our God. There's nothing that we can do on our own to make that happen. So God has to get involved. And the label of sinner and the price of death, I believe, would have been absolutely enough because mankind fell into sin. And this God could have said, you know what? That was your choice. I turn my back from you and I banish you. You have your sentence. But God had an issue that prevented that from happening. And God's issue, the issue that God had to deal with, was love. God loved his creation so much that he could not stand by and watch, even though it was our fault, could not stand by and watch that sentence be carried out. More than that, I believe so much that God wanted to be in relationship with us. He wanted us to have access to him. And so he didn't want the course of time to continue without offering and providing some type of way. He being the only one that could provide that way. So driven by this unexplainable love, God did only what he could do. Something radical came to life through immaculate conception on that dark night in a Bethlehem stable that was going to significantly change the course of history as it pertains to this creation in relation to their God. Jesus grows and he lives a perfect holy life and he spends his years of ministry relentlessly sharing a message of hope and love fueled by his father's desire for reconciliation to his people. Jesus was and is indeed a king. And on this day, Palm Sunday, we see for the very first time that which was told in parables, that which was told in stories, that which was told in secret, come forth, really right before the people's eyes. And it was, it was essentially Jesus saying, yes, I am your king. Now watch as everything I have told you unfolds. The crowds gathered on that day. And if you look closely at scripture, you will learn that the people gathering and shouting Hosanna weren't necessarily, not all of them, weren't necessarily welcoming Jesus, the person, as their king. We learn in John's account that many were gathered to see Lazarus because Jesus had just raised him from the dead. 
And I don't know what the different motives from everybody uh, gathering together. I'm sure others were gathered in hopes to overthrow the current government in hopes that Jesus would be a king who fought with a sword and would cause a, a disruption in the political arena. But no. This king came on a donkey, on a colt, because Jesus fought his battles with peace and love. And he wasn't interested in the political agenda of the day. Jesus rode in with bold humility. He knew with full confidence who he was and what his father had commissioned him to do. You know, a lot of times when we see somebody uh, rising up in leadership or maybe looking to take office somewhere, we look around that person or perhaps that person looks to others to help find a population of people that might endorse them, a population of people that might support them or, or, or sway a vote a certain way or, or whatnot. And you know, as I pull back and draw and look at the crowd that was shouting Hosanna that day, I wonder how many people would be able to rise up to a spot to really endorse Jesus, to really support his cause, to really be one that swayed a vote one way or the other. And as I was thinking about it, you know, I thought perhaps, you know, perhaps there were a couple people sprinkled in the crowd that had a, a little bit more of a clue of what Jesus was doing and why he was doing it. And maybe those people would be the ones to endorse him. And, you know, the interesting thing is, is I don't know how many people would want to follow these. I think one of the people may have been a prostitute. And he saw and he forgave. One of those people may have been a guy who hadn't had a chance to really see physically his entire life, let alone build a reputation for himself to sway people to follow Jesus. And maybe down in front as Jesus was riding by, there was a short little man who collected taxes named Zacchaeus that everybody hated. Maybe that's the person that maybe would endorse Jesus. Jesus, in bold humility, knew who he was. He knew that, yes, he was a king, but he was, not a king. he was not the king by earthly standards. He was not the king of this world. He was, a, he was the king of a greater place. And the world was submitted to that place. And so he needed no endorsement from the people around him. And the people that Jesus tended to attract were those that he was after anyway. Jesus knew he was a king. We tend to be a fickle people. And when it comes to the kingdom, that is a very dangerous way to live. And that's on both sides of the cross. When Moses came down the mountain with the Ten Commandments, the first commandment is, what is it? Have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. We tend to sometimes, if you're anything like me, in my working out my faith, have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. And that doesn't work. And there's a verse in Revelation, I believe it's chapter 3, verse 16, that says, I take the lukewarm because you're neither hot nor cord and I spit you out of my mouth. That's a severe statement. And I wonder if I am the type of believer, Christian, I wonder, I'm asking this legitimately about myself, Am I holding a palm branch saying, save us, welcome king into my life, but in the same breath saying, crucify him, crucify him. And so I step back and I evaluate, do I really, do I really believe in, do I really see this king as who he 
is. We have a tendency to follow the crowd and participate in what's most popular. Is it easier to engage from a distance and follow what's popular than it, than it is to become vulnerable and make a decision from the heart and stick with it? Absolutely. Our choices should reflect obedience and our obedience should not be dictated by how we feel. I really used to be a, a yes person to a fault. And I struggle in this area still even now. Uh, but when somebody used to come to me with something they wanted me to do, uh, it was an automatic yes. And the reason for that is because I cared more about what that person thought about me than what I was about to get myself into. And so it'd be, yes, yeah, sure, 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 sure. I'd figure it out later, but yes, in that moment, because I wanted to appease that person. And then I had a conversation with Margaret Meek. She taught me the word no. <laughs> but more than that, she taught me to seek the Lord before a yes or no comes out of my mouth. See, I, I've been here more than a, more than a decade, and, and I've seen multiple times in our children's ministry where there have been vacancies for teacher, teaching positions. But I don't even think I can even count on one hand the number of times I've seen Margaret get up and solicit for a help because she wants people to hear from the Lord. And what happens is when you have people who are hearing from the Lord, they're the most faithful, they show up on time, they're committed, they're rising up in leadership. Why? Because their heart isn't to fulfill, just to fulfill a need. They're doing what the Lord has asked them to do. And so I used to play that play that yes, 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 because I cared so much about what that person thought of me. And I haven't mastered that yet, but I've come a long way. We learn a lot when we understand that our faith shouldn't be dictated on trying to please a bunch of people. Jesus wants to make his triumphal entry into your life. And at the center of our lives is this gap. And the, and the gap is there because of sin. And we all try to place all sorts of things at the center of our life. We look to find fulfill, uh, fulfillment in a myriad of, of different things. And so as I was looking at this and preparing, and actually it's been on my heart for the last couple of months, I've been studying and thinking about the center place and, and who rules and reigns in all areas and aspects of my life. And I would like to show you a few things that maybe at a time in my life uh, I had, you know, I'd centered in and, and really put this thing, whatever it was, at the center. And, and some of them might be a little goofy to you, but I, I, I really submit to you that today maybe that some of you may have, may relate to some of these things. And maybe some of you are walking in this position now. I like to travel. I don't know if you knew that about me or not, but I really like to travel. If I have a chance to go somewhere, man, I like to see this creation that the Lord's created. But there have been times in my life when I put the, the desire to travel before the people in my life, before my family, before my, my work, before whatever it is, because I just have such a passion, I'm going to make that happen. So sometimes that, that sink, set into the center place of my life. And so as I evaluate and I look at that, there, another thing that I sometimes put at the center of my life might be entertainment. I want to have fun. I want to do what I want to do. I want to spend my money the way I want to spend it. I give in to, 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 to momentary pleasures. 
And so I see that sometimes it creeps up and it becomes the center and everything's revolving around that. And as I pull back and I say, you know, there, there, there are more important things than th- these two. Like macaroni and cheese. <laughs> and you laugh, but there's some people that find their security in food. And they struggle with that. But sometimes that type of thing creeps in and it becomes the center. Reese's peanut butter cups. Sometimes that becomes so much the center to the point of theft, even to when it gets into your, your senior pastor's Easter basket. Yes, I have stolen from our senior pastor a Reese's egg. I confess to you. These are the children that I work with at my school. Oh, yeah, so now we start to get into some real, uh, right? I spend many more than 40 hours at this place with these people. And they're important to me. And there are times when they become the, the, the center place. But as I evaluate my life and I look at it, I'm honest with myself, they're not actually at the, at the center. They're close to it, but they're not there. What about this place? I love you guys. I love worshiping with you guys. I love rubbing elbows with you and, 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 and building relationships with you. And there are times when, when that seems to creep in and become the center, but it's not, it's not supposed to be the center, but it's close to it. It's important to me. But there's some, there's some things in my life, there's some people in my life that even take a, 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 higher, pre, a higher place in my life. It's my dog. Now I tell you, I'll never have a struggle of putting a cat at the center of my life. That will never be a struggle of mine. But this little guy, I'm telling you, there will be some days when it seems like everyone is against me. And I come home and this little guy's wagging his tail, red jumping in my arms. I love my dog. I'm not ashamed to say it. But I don't put my security there. This is Lucia. Now we're really getting close to home. I love right now how Lucia gives me open mouth kisses and bumps her head against mine. Now she's stumbling as she's starting to figure out walking. This is Hadassah. I love how she slings spaghetti against the wall after the third no. I love these girls. And there are a lot of us, now hear me closely, there are a lot of us that stop right here and have no problem on putting their, their children right here in this spot. And if I'm honest with myself and I look at my life and I say, what am I putting in the center right here? There's actually somebody that, that supersedes even my kids. This is my wife. My wife's beautiful. And the last three people that I just showed here, my two girls and my wife, those are people that I would die for. And there's a lot of people that would stop and say, that's my family right here. It's the center of my life. Everything I do revolves around my family. My family's in the center. But guys, I have to tell you, as I'm evaluating my life, if I was in a room by myself and I was being honest with myself, and I looked at everything that could possibly be at the center of my life, there is someone to me at times more important than even my wife that goes in this center spot. And that person is me. The 
person is me. Because when I wake up in the morning, Kevin wants what Kevin wants what Kevin wants. And I have but maybe a few seconds in the morning to establish the matter of authority in my life. Jesus is either going to be in charge or I'm going to be in charge. And I can pretty much tell you as many times I've fallen on my face how it turns out whenever I'm in charge. But for some reason, that temptation is there to take it again. This is why when people set out to live this victorious life and put a huge goal in front of them that are days and weeks and months and years in front of them, that's why we fail all the time. Because Jesus even said, you need to take up your cross daily, daily. It's a daily surrender. And you get up and follow me. But because we, I'm going to use we purposely and intentionally, because we so often choose this seat and this place, Jesus chose this place. And it's only because Jesus, it's only because of Jesus' obedience to his Father, it's only because Jesus was able to fulfill this and actually do this that gives me the power and the strength to get off this chair and take this posture right here. Because this seat belongs to Jesus Christ. And it is a daily, daily battle. And it's not a stretch. It is not a stretch for us to realize that the gap that has been created between God and man is because of this position that we take. And it's the exact position, it's that exact battle that does have us sometimes in a place where we're holding up a branch singing Hosanna, Hosanna, and in the next breath saying crucify him three days later. There is so much on that list, those pictures that I gave you that I absolutely love. There are so many people in my life that I absolutely love. But I tell you what, you know that you are on the, 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 you are on the, um, the verge of really sealing that gap with Jesus being in the center when you come to realize that you have many to love, but you have one to please. You have one to please. And when we turn those tables around and we say, I'm going to please everybody, you really aren't pleasing anybody. You're certainly not pleasing God. And whenever you try to please everybody, it stands to reason that you're probably not really loving anybody the way that you ought to either. And so it all gets tangled up and we get in this mess and we start to take this, this stance and this chair and we, and, we, and we become the king of the mountain because we want to be king. We want the world to revolve around us. Love has only a little bit to do with what you do, has a lot to do with who you are. This is an important week. And as I continue to watch a generation define Christianity without using biblical principles, I want to clean up some of the phrases that I hear people say all of the time. And I'm doing this intentionally on purpose before this week because I believe that sometimes we buy into these phrases as flippant phrases that we say, but we really believe them because to say some of these things negates the need to have a Jesus at the center at all. But if you listened to the phrase and you actually looked at scripture, you'd say, man, I don't, I don't know if I can get there biblically. biblically. And so as we go into this work, I want us to think about a few of the things that maybe we have, we've maybe said so much that we've, it's seeped down into our heart and it removes a little bit of the potency and the need for a savior and what he did this week. Number one, we are all God's children. 
We're all God's children. We are not all God's children. We are all God's creation. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Galatians 3.26 says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. So yes, if you're a believer, absolutely you are a child of God. But to say that we are all children of God, to just throw that phrase out there flippantly that we're all children of God would negate the need for a Savior. Jesus died because he loved me. Jesus' sole reason for dying on the cross isn't because he loves you. Now, he did die, and he does love you. He did die, and he does love you. But his motivation was obedience to his Father. We need to understand the gravity and the weight of that choice. The gravity and the weight of obedience of Jesus Christ so that we could have salvation through him and the gap could be filled. John 5, 19 says, The Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing because what the Father does, the Son also does. In Matthew 26, we see Jesus praying in the garden. This is what Jesus says. He says, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup be taken away from me. This is Jesus. He's praying to his Father this week that we celebrate, coming in a few days. He's in the garden. He's saying, Lord, if this could, Father, if this could be taken away from me, but, 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 God, but, Father, your will be done, not mine. Aren't you glad that he was able to have the strength to be obedient to his Father? Aren't you glad that he was able to be obedient to his Father and follow through with the task he was given? We all worship the same God. We all worship the same God. If who or what you worship doesn't put Jesus in this seat, then you don't worship the same God I do. Jonathan was talking earlier about the video they were watching and praying in more healing in our church. And I think that that's fantastic. But I'm going to tell you what, I don't, want, I don't want to be a part of anything that doesn't put Jesus at the center. You want to see a move of the Holy Spirit? You want to do some incredible things? Let's put Jesus in the center and then let the Holy Spirit go after it. That's awesome. But so often we try to go after the healing and we forget about the fact that we need Jesus. And let's not forget that a major difference between our God and any other God is that ours is alive. Amen. A loving God doesn't send people to hell. You're right. A loving God doesn't send people to hell. He in his compassion and grace sent his son to die so that you and I have the choice to go to heaven or hell. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not die but have eternal life. Five. Uh, Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since the fall, all God has done is do everything he could to restore things as they originally were intended to be. We choose, we choose life or destruction. And lastly, and I'm sure there's a million of these things that we could do, but I'm just doing these. As you walk through this week, try to, try to eliminate this phrase if you can, because I, if you look in Scripture, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. 
I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You know how defeating that sounds? The accurate phrase is, I was a sinner saved by grace. Because the Bible has a lot to say about who you are now on the other side of your belief. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Romans 8.1, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 6.18, Being set free from your sin, you have become slaves to righteousness. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may share in his glory. You have the strength and you have the power to allow Jesus to make his triumphal entry into your life and take up residency in the gap between you and your father. So that for now and all, etern- and all eternity, things can be as God originally planned them to be. You have the power. You have the strength because of that right there. This past weekend, the uh, women went on a retreat. My wife went. And she left my two girls with me. This is the first time this has happened. I need the coloring book. Okay, here's the coloring book. But she doesn't have that same coloring book. Okay, well, let me get this. I want that crayon. No, she wants that crayon. Let me break the crayon in half. No, you don't want me to break the crayon in half? You want your juice cup. Are you drinking on her juice cup? How old is that milk? I mean, it's... 24 hours of go, 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 go. And I'll tell you, I run at full steam ahead usually, but daddies have to tell you, mamas can run laps around us when it comes to raising kids. And throughout this process, uh, we decided to go to the store and the dog got out, Coda, and uh, he left us a present on two of the steps outside, right? So here I have Lucy in one arm and I'm... And I'm taking Hadassah down the steps, and I step into one of those messes. And so we continue on, you know, I scrape it off, it's there still, and I go. And throughout this whole weekend, up and down the steps, up and down the steps, I'm taking Hadassah by the hand, I'm like, okay, sidestep over here, sidestep over here, watch the poop, here we go, and we're going to the store, we're doing, we're, we're going about our day. Sherry arrives home on Sunday afternoon, Monday morning I wake up, it's still there, I wake up, I go outside, um, well, I, you know, get ready for work, and I go to, start to go to work, and I pass by it on Monday morning, and I decide not to clean it up. I sidestep it again, and I get in my car. And on my way to work, the Lord starts to talk to me. He said, Kevin, yes, Lord, you remember the present that was left for you on the steps? Yes, Lord. And the image came to mind because when I had stepped in it, it left the impression of the, the bottom part of my shoe. So the image came to mind. He said, Kevin, that present there, that's kind of like our sin. It's kind of like the sin in your life. And sometimes when we see sin in our life, instead of taking care of it, we just sidestep, sidestep. We know it's there, but we sidestep it. But what's worse is sometimes we take those who love us and who we love, we have them sidestep right through it. Kevin, I've given you grace, the power and the strength to get rid of that sin. Why don't you clean it up? There's probably a lot of stinky sin in your, that we struggle with in our lives that we don't have to have there. And the chances are is that you're not the only one who knows it's there. 
Chances are there's some people that really love you that you've been holding on to and that you've been sidestepping around that stuff with. And you think they don't know about it, but they do. And I'm sure they got their, they've got their own set as well. He has given you the power and the strength to get rid of that. You are no longer bound to your sin. We are free from the entanglement of this world and what the sin has. Because Jesus fills the gap, I don't have to sidestep my sin and drag everybody through it. I have freedom. I have strength. I have the power to get rid of sin because I am no longer in bondage to it. God has given us a choice. I can choose destruction or I can choose life with him because with Jesus, the gap is no more. I have access to the Father. Would the worship team come? So how do we make Jesus the center spot in our lives? As Jesus comes in and desires to not just make an entry into our lives, you know, if, really, Jesus wants to make a triumphal entry into your life. He wants it to be evident that he's there. And I have a few things that I'd like to submit to you that you could do to really help in the process. These aren't, this isn't an exhaustive list. We love lists. This is the reason why I'm going to say this. But this is just maybe a couple of things that might get you going in the direction. Because as you discover him for yourself, oh, there are going to be some secrets that are going to unlock in your life. There are going to be some things, explosions of joy that are going to happen that, that boy, let me tell you, nobody's going to be able to tell you what you got to do to make him the center. But these are just some, some areas that you might consider to get you going in that, in that way. Number one, pray. You know, he's actually interesting to talk to. Talk to him. Involve him in your decision making. Lord, should I buy this? Should I actually spend money on, on this right here? Lord, what color shirt should I wear this morning? You mean he's concerned about the shirt? He's got nothing more, he's got nothing more pressing on his agenda than you. Involve him in your decision making. Every decision. Invite him in. Lord, would you help me with this decision? I, I need your help. Read the word. I think sometimes so many of us are um, intimidated into to coming into a place where we can have a real relationship with God because we don't know Him. Well, guys, the way that we know Him is we get into the Word. There's a lot of information about who He is, and that book is alive. You'll start to connect with Him in a way that will blow your mind away if you'll just open the book. It's available to you. And finally, and again, these are just a few points, surround yourself with like-minded believers. It's hard to walk into church on a Sunday, rub elbows with people that really are sold out for the Lord, really trying to go away, and you're looking at them, and man, I wish I had what they had, but yet you're hanging out with the world throughout the week doing whatever it is you want to do. Get in the relationship. God didn't intend for us to be isolated or alone. He wants us to be in relationship with one another. We're supposed to be celebrating this king together. So let's do that, right? So those are just some points that, to get you going in the right direction. Maybe if you're struggling, how do I, how do, I do this thing? How do, man, I, I relate to some of those things being a sinner. How do I get here? Well, that, that would be a, a starting place. Did you ever consider that the complexity of what Jesus went through on this very week was to offer you and me the simplicity of spending our lives in his presence? Our aim is not perfection because we will fail every single time. Our aim is not perfection because we're going to fail 
every single time. I'm going to say it one more time so we can really get it, okay? Are you ready? Our aim is not perfection, right? Because we're going to fail every single time. Our aim is Jesus Christ. That's our aim. And Jesus being at the center of our lives completes the masterpiece of this incredible and creative idea that was fueled by a relentless and passionate pursuit of you and me from a God who is big enough to breathe stars, but intimate and close enough to hold broken things together. Would you stand with me? I don't know where you are with your walk with the Lord. I don't know how much of a relationship you have with Him, but I believe this morning, if those are going to pray, go and come forward. I, don't, I think this morning there might be an anointing down here for people who might want to say, you know, I struggle with putting some other things in this spot, and I really want to get to a place where I surrender and let Jesus take this chair. If that's you, I would come this morning. What a wonderful way to spend this week. Guys, this week's important. This is a powerful week. And boy, if we can get to a place where we're putting Jesus here, man, the things that he would be able to do in us and through us and with us. So if that's you, you come. And then guys, I know that some of you come with some needs. Some of you need prayer. Maybe you need healing this morning. Maybe you come with somebody that you want to pray for. Maybe there's some people out there that, man, if they could, this is, this is Easter. Maybe there's some people out there that have never given their life to the Lord and you need to lift them up. If that's you, come this morning and agree with one of these brothers and sisters and pray together. Let's worship together. Nothing else matters. Nothing in this world will do. Because Jesus, you're the same.
Sunday is an opportunity for you to bring people that you know that don't have a relationship with Him. And I'm sure that between workplaces and places you go, there's probably opportunities to invite people. Invite them in. Let them be a part of this incredible gift that our Father has, has given us. Would you raise your hand and let me give you a blessing. May the God of all creation who created a way for the gap to be filled help us to center our heart this week as we tap into the strength and power through Jesus Christ to make Him the center of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Be blessed.